Joining me today is local photographer and designer Guillermo Abia, affectionately known as G, and the co-director of the CPI and freelancer Chris Devon. How are we doing this morning, gentlemen? Hey, good morning, Nick. Great to hear from you. Great to hear from you as well. Thanks for joining us. How are you doing, G? I'm doing great. Good to talk to you guys this morning. Good. This is our earliest podcast being at 9 in the morning. Are you guys, are you guys up for this, or is everybody still half asleep? No, I got 16 ounces of coffee right here in front of me, so I'm ready to roll. Awesome. Good to hear. Yeah, I got my second cup of coffee in front of me, so I'm good. Two on a Monday. Wow, gee, that's impressive. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, as we start every podcast off, um, we just query our panel on what they've been shooting. So, gee, I'm going to start with you. What have you been up to lately? Well, I actually have been shooting a lot for uh, my first gallery show that I have coming up in January. Yes. And I'm pretty excited about it. It's actually a series of nude bodyscapes that I shot specifically for this show. So that has taken up most of my November and early part of my December schedule. That's great. And if you want to, go ahead and please plug away at your gallery. Sure. It's going to be hanging up at Sycamore Gallery, which is a guy, Todd LeBeck, does custom furniture and has a little room in his custom furniture studio that he shows and sells art. So first Friday is January 6th from 5 to 7, we'll be having an opening. And I hope people can come out, take a look at it, let me know what you think, and have a good time. That's great. Tell us, uh, tell us a little bit about this project, how long you've been shooting it for, um, where, where this, the, how large are the print sizes, you know, what was the aim of the gallery? Sure. The, it was kind of nice because I had a lot of sort of creative freedom for this. We had an idea. I had an idea of what Todd wanted to get out of the show, and he just kind of let me go to town with it. So I've been shooting... Uh, shot four models in November and December. The idea is sort of to, to highlight one line of the human body and hide the rest in shadows. And we'll be doing prints from small as 8 to 10, but as large as 20 to 24. Where'd you get your prints done at? Empix.com, one cool. of my favorite printers. Yeah, I use them as my uh, fulfillment provider through Zenfolio, and I've been super happy with Empix. They crank out some really nice looking stuff. Yeah, they're great. I um, I highly recommend them too to a number of my wedding clients that are all over the place. Um, also to include many of our sponsors and people that help us out with the CPI. Um, but I, I do like Empix, and that sounds great, G. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. I'm sorry I'm going to miss the gallery opening. If I can't be there on the 6th, is it going to be open throughout the month? Yeah, it's going to be open probably for, for quite a few weeks afterwards, and Todd's got a pretty regular schedule Monday, Monday through Friday, 8 to 5. People can stop by and take a look. Perfect, perfect. And what about you, Chris? What have you been up to? It must be uh, gallery month here at the CPI because <laughs> I, I, I just had, had uh, I just had a, a gallery hanging at uh, Peace Frogs Travel Outfitters, which is over in the Barracks Road Shopping Center here in Charlottesville. And uh, you know, my wife works there. She's been worked there for quite some time. And then the owner approached me uh, probably about two months ago and said, "Hey, we'd like to get some some new photographs up on the wall." Local photographer John Golden, who's Many CPI folks and other Look 3 folks will know from Look 3 Festival, the photograph. Uh, he's periodically had photos hanging up there. So uh, it was very nice when Julie uh, Arbelez asked me to hang some photos up there. So I've got uh, 18 different travel shots from, uh, 
from around the world, from Italy and France and London and Mexico and India and a bunch of different places that Rochelle and I have been together or just a couple of trips that I've taken by myself. So it was uh, more work than I had anticipated, basically printing out a whole bunch of 13 by 19 inch prints and then doing the whole, you know, uh, mounting on gator board is... It sounds easy when you get started with it. <laughs> so after about three or four days, I was like, wow, this is really a lot of work. But uh, the photos are up, and folks can enjoy those anytime through the spring uh, at Peace Frogs Travel Outfitters in Barracks Road, just back in the travel agent section. So uh, stop in and have a look at the photos. That's a, that's a great plug. And I know you have a – you mentioned something about the printing, and I know you have this sexy Canon Pixma 9000. Did you do all the printing yourself and then get the gator board and um, the, the spray? How, how did you do the old mounting process? Yeah, basically I used spray, and I used uh, – I do have a Canon uh, Pro 9000, a Mark II right now, Pixma Pro. And uh, it's been great. It kind of takes a while, you know, between dialing in your – your screen with your spider to make sure that what you're getting out of the printer actually matches <clears throat> what you've got on the screen. It takes a little bit of color balancing. Um, you know, I ran a bunch of 8x10s first before I started doing 13x19s just so I could get things like skin tone and sky color the way I wanted them to. But um, yeah, the mounting process was basically I had a company pre cut some gator board for me and then I created my own sort of do-it-yourself mounting system for the back, which are little wooden blocks with some wire between them. And then uh, I just re used regular 3M, like there's some really almost industrial strength uh, photography spray that they sell that you can get at the art store uh, right down near the UVA corner. So I got a couple of cans of that. But yeah, it was a lot of work. <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad all the stuff is hanging now and I can just leave it alone for a little while. So. How did um, what kind of paper did you print on? Was it like a photo rag, or was it a mat? Was it a luster? I, I went with a semi gloss, and it's the standard Canon paper. So, and everything was printed in high resolution. So uh, I decided just for consistency's sake to keep keep all the prints looking the same. So with a semi gloss, I think they they look pretty good. It's a you know just a fluorescent lighting back there, so uh, right. you really can't see any glare shine off the photographs. But I think they came out all right. Good, excellent, cool. Well, I can't keep up with you guys as far as your gallery is going, but um, I'd, I'd actually like to. Uh, I know I've talked about it for the longest time, doing some kind of gallery mount, and I think I'm just starting to come to a point where I have enough work to show, and it's all been courtesy of Seabill Weekly, who's been sending me out on a number of assignments where I've been doing environmental portraiture. And, and uh, I was looking over all my stuff the other day and, of course, talking with Amy, and I've talked incessantly about hosting a gallery. So I think I'm going to finally take the plunge. You guys have motivated me and inspired me, and maybe sometime after the holidays I'm going to put together a gallery, and I'm going to show it at all places the CPI. <laughs> that sounds great. You should have to go for it. Yeah, I'm uh, looking forward to it, but I'm still trying to, like, weigh print options. I like what Chris did with DIY, but I, of course, don't have um, the sexy printer that you both have, ironically enough. <laughs> And then I think if I wanted to print these, I want to go really big. Like I'd want to go up to like 20 plus inches just because there's a lot of like sense of space. And also I want to retain the uh, four by three image aspect ratio that I set out to, to capture. Yeah, that sounds great. That sounds absolutely great. What kind of, uh, what kind of stuff would you put up for your gallery showing, Nick? I, I've been doing a lot of... Um, uh, Siebel Weekly has this feature in the back of a boat called a room of one's own, and I think, and I've I've been really pleased with about I would say seventy five to about eighty percent of the the shots that I've taken um, through those stories, and it's simply uh, Bill Asser, who's my art director, will say uh, he says eighty twenty, so he says eighty percent space, twenty percent person, 
And it's always been a really interesting exercise because I have no idea what these people's apartments or their living space looks like when they get there. And I only carry two speed lights around with me. So if I get there, I just take an evaluation of the scene, try to figure out where I want to frame them, and then figure out how I can light it. So it's been a really, really good exercise um, in testing like my ability to light things, my ability to then balance and work with a subject in the frame. And um, I think I've built some pretty good practices that uh, have developed good habits for me that I've seen kind of carry on into my other work being my wedding work. And um, I think if anything, it's made my wedding work that much easier because I think if I can grab somebody inside of their home, which is commonly smaller and darker and light that, then I can work with brides that are at these, you know, usually gorgeous locations or locations catered towards better photography. So it's been a really positive experience. And I think I have eight... I'd like to do a gallery of probably about no more than eight photographs, and I think I have about eight really solid prints. And over the last week, I've been shooting this assignment called 30 Under 30. Um, every year, I think Siva Weekly does either 30 Under 30 or they profile you know X amount of um, businesses that have contributed to Charlottesville's economy or Charlottesville's local growth. And these have been really interesting, and um, I've it's it's good because uh, Bill, my art director, gives me just enough guidance to kind of shape what the message is for me or shape what he thinks maybe the composition will be without being kind of overly too heavy-handed. And um, I've been really pleased with the last actually three portraits that I've taken. So I think that'll be able to round out the set and maybe produce a gallery. Yeah, I've seen some of those in the Seville Weekly and they look really great. Um, I've just got out of curiosity because I know you, you really are hot, always hot for the Zeiss glass. Sure. Are you, shoot, are you shooting those with like wide angle, something below like 15 millimeters or... Not that much. I have a 24 to 70, and I don't really go any wider than that. Even at 24, the photos can get a little soft, so I don't try to rack them out all the way. So I'm usually at like 28 to like 30 millimeter. Um, so Zeiss does make a, uh, I think it's like a 16 to 35, and I've eyed it up a little bit, but I don't know. Just I, the only time I think it would be really applicable is for that editorial work. And, you know, unfortunately, in disclaimer, as much as I love working for Siebel Weekly, um, the pay isn't commensurate enough for me to be able to afford a $1,700 lens. Uh, however, though, I think um, for this upcoming wedding season, I'm definitely going to take the plunge and get this uh, 24 millimeter prime lens that I've had my eye on forever. And that's a Zeiss autofocus lens offered by Sony, which is, uh, I think, could be really sexy and be a nice piece with my kit. And, and despite People might see me around town or people might see my gear bag. It's this enormous luggage roller that's just like behemoth. And <laughs> I really try to travel light and fast. And I hate carrying around that giant telefocus lens that just weighs like, you know, it's like a pound and a half. And um, especially like at a wedding or like an editorial event where I'm there for a while, it's just, it's terrible to carry around it. It gets really heavy and it's kind of a little too much to manage. So I'm hoping to get that 24 millimeter lens and then use that as kind of like my primary um, room of one's own or uh, slash environmental portraiture lens. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks. <clears throat> cool. I still want to get a photo of you with dragging the suitcase around, though, just so that I can mock you. <laughs> I wish it was Facebook. just a suitcase. It's usually like accompanied by another, like, uh, like my my stand bag and like a bunch of other stuff. But uh, whatever, we'll we'll, set, we'll shelf all that and we'll get on with this content because I'm sure people are tired of hearing us talk about ourselves. <laughs> okay, so. 
we start off every show with uh, our CPI content and just some quick stuff that we want to uh, hit our members with and um, something like that went into effect and uh, we also, you might have noticed that we skipped over our November podcast. We actually released our October podcast in November and something big that happened was our membership fees. So our membership fees went from 20 to $40 and we talked about this extensively in the August and September podcast, I believe, but we just want to talk about it one more time real quick and I'm going to let Chris do that. Yeah, basically, we we haven't had that big of a raise. I mean, you could think of it as like, oh my gosh, a hundred percent. We went from twenty bucks to forty bucks, but uh, we really feel as though we offer a, a tremendous amount of value to this community and to our to our paid members. So, and we wanted to make sure that it, as we move into the twenty twelve, folks are really getting like the maximum you know, that we can return to them for that price. Um, we think it's an extremely sensible price. And once again, all the, all the money that we collect from members goes right back into the group. There's nobody at the CPI that's salaried. <clears throat> so it's either, either spent to build new workshops, uh, reach out to the community, or to enhance our space at 300 West Main Street. So um, <clears throat> we're hoping that uh, folks uh, won't have a problem with it. So far, we've actually only just had a couple of people inquire about it, and our membership is still uh, rock steady at but. 325 folks. Um, I think uh, only about a third of <clears throat> CPI members are actually paying supporting members. So we really encourage folks that, you know, as we go into 2012 and your membership dues come up, you'll get a Joel or get a, a, a nice little email reminder from Joel Kodiamat um, to pay your dues. But, you know, we'd really appreciate your support. So <clears throat> once again, every penny that we collect from you guys goes right back into the group. And we think that uh, $40 a year is a really, really reasonable rate to get all of the tremendous value that we're going to give you back this year. That's great. And uh, why don't you go ahead and expand on that value? What do our CPI supporters get out of that $40 annual fee? Well, at any given time, usually in a single month, we've got <clears throat> studio workshops. We just had a model shoot with Patrick Meyer, which I think you'll probably talk about in a little bit. Um, we've got a monthly meeting that we haven't had in a while, probably going to rebirth that sometime in January or February. And, uh, we have shoot-offs, we have contests, uh, we have a variety of different workshops. I think we've got one coming up on sensor cleaning. Um, all really great stuff. And then, once again, some of those membership fees also go back into nonprofit efforts. We'd like to see if we can re-kickstart the after-school program this year. And, uh, <clears throat> and then we're always doing other community outreach efforts, too, which gives shooters at the CPI an opportunity to participate in things like Help Portrait or, um, you know, the uh, uh, Live Arts Gala that we shot last month. So all sorts of really great stuff. Great. And you hit that nail right on the head, Chris. And if anybody has any questions about um, supporter fees, you're more than welcome to message Chris and I direct, and we'll be happy to talk to you about what that entails and send you another note about it. So thank you very much. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. Um, also happening with the CPI space, we had a uh, changeover of tenants. So previously we had uh, Jason and Tammy Kiefer, and they moved on to bigger and better things. And uh, ironically enough, we have G, who is our newest. Are you actually calling us from the CPI right now, G? I'm not. I'm calling you from home. Okay. Well, I'm bailing buckets of water out from there as we're speaking. So, you know, don't worry about that. <laughs> That's a joke. Okay. Yeah. So we have G, and we also have another um, CPI member named Ned, and uh, and it's great. We were actually ha able to have a pretty seamless transition, and um, and when Tammy and Jason moved out, Chris and I went in there and cleaned the place up a little bit, did a big super clean, painted up the floors, painted up some of the walls, and uh, we're we're happy to have you on board, G. Can you tell us about some of your initial experiences having a, a new home at the CPI for your work? 
So we had a little bit of technical difficulty, and uh, G is playing um, musical mics in every podcast, switching out between them. So we have him on a brand new microphone, and uh, we'll pick up where we left off with G. Why don't you tell us about some of your initial experiences moving into the CPI? Sure. I'm just finished moving in last week, so it's nice to have all my stuff in in one place again, like I had before. And the main reason I switched over to the CPI space, I used to run another space in town, is I want to work on photography collaboration and I like the idea of a photography community helping all of its members out so I'm hoping that being in that space will put me a little bit closer to the center of town a little bit closer to the photographers and they can help me out I can help them out so I'm, I'm really excited about the space looking forward to to what the year is going to bring with it good and how has that worked out so far have you had a chance to collaborate with anybody or do any model shoots in the CPI yeah I've actually done a couple shoots in there already and it's, it's a fantastic space I love how big it is and I've got my tripod and all my stands on wheels, and it's really nice to just be able to roll stuff around as I need it to. So it's been great so far. Excellent. And we didn't pay you to say that, right? (laughs) Not at all. But I will take a discount. (laughs) Well, (laughs) we'll see about that. (laughs) Great. And um, so our our next subject is programming in 2012. And I just wanted to make a quick note about this. So you guys might have seen the schedule. Uh, There's My name is on just about every event and and that's not because I'm a micromanager it's just because uh, I'm taking the initiative to put this information up or I'm sorry these workshops together and up on the CPI site but I want to encourage anybody in the CPI with an idea or with a motivation that wants to get a workshop or just wants to get a get-together up on the CPI site to do so it's a very very simple process we don't have any um, kind of strict rules or regulations. We have a, a studio contract and a checklist we just ask people to go through, but um, the basic premise is if you have an idea and it's good for the group, then I'm going to rubber stamp it. So I really want to see some great programming uh, end up on our schedule in, in 2012. Chris mentioned that we took away the group me- meeting. Well, we were uh, we hosted that for a while, and as it turns out, membership just started to decline, and we really couldn't peg a reason for it and I got some good feedback from some of my executive committee and they frankly said it was just getting boring we were just doing the same thing over and over again and and I agreed with that so uh, we fragged the monthly group meetup and then it's my intention to hopefully replace that with a number of other great programming especially member workshops I'd like to teach a member workshop at least every two months if not every month as long as I can keep coming up with good content and uh, we'll talk about one of our previous member workshops here in a minute and some of the future ones that we have coming up but I just want to pitch it out to our listening audience. Um, I encourage you also too, if you are friends with any local pros or any interna- I'm sorry, national pros or even international pros, um, if they have a workshop series, send them my way. I've actually been um, I'm shifting my role somewhat in the XC, and I'm trying to focus just more strictly on programming and content for the CPI in 2012. And and I've been talking to some professionals that are within the area about hosting workshops and, and getting stuff on our calendar. So I just want to encourage that. I'm probably going to encourage that every show from here on out. But uh, to come back and circle back to my earlier point, programming, it's open to anyone. Um, and that's all I have to say about that. And without further ado, we'd also like to announce the winners of our November shoot-off. And this is going to come as a huge surprise to our listening audience. But once again, Lila <laughs> secured the number one spot. So this is four times in a row. And she actually won with her winning entry, which is number 25, which I believe was a, a man behind a counter. And um, our pro judge this month was John Robinson, so I want to thank him of Robinson Imagery for taking some time out to judge. Um, our second place was Dorothy, I believe. I didn't, did we have a member named Dorothy, by the way? 
We better have because <laughs> she would have had to RSVP yes and to post her images in the uh, in the gallery. So yeah, I would think so. Well, it's funny he said that, and then I went to our site to go look at the number, and it says a former member. So I guess it was somebody that can contributed and left the group. But anyways, it was number twenty. It was a, a shot of an elderly woman with a red shawl around her head, and then third place was uh, Gina, which was uh, number two, which was a image I believe of one of her gray cats. So. So that was great. We're going to be announcing. Uh, we just had our December shoot off. We're going to talk a little bit about that. But I want to encourage you guys. Lila is an awesome photographer, but she's been dominating these uh, shoot offs. And if I were you guys, I would get all fired up and and want to unseat her. She's she's a great shooter, but um, you know to have somebody win four in a row that's awesome, and that's also a great testament to to her abilities. But uh, the shoot offs have been going really well. Our our last one we had in uh, December. We're going to talk a little bit about that. But that's a great free um, event for our CPI supporters and then you can also win a $25 gift certificate to Pro Camera. and uh, Lila lives in Denmark so I'm not sure how that's going to work out but I'm going to contact her and try to figure out a, a good middle point <laughs> for her to claim her prize. Yeah, it sounds great. I would say, uh, say uh, that'll be uh, maybe an Amazon gift card or something like that, something a little bit more international. Yeah, that, that seems comparable. I'm sure they have Amazon.de, right? Yeah, I'm trying to look through the different... Uh, entries here and what was Dorothy's picture of it was number 20 that that's all the number I know and number 20 huh funny so, number 20 comes up as Patrick Meyer shot of a woman in front of a mirror now is that the, from December or is that from November that's from December mm, okay we'll take a look at that later okay okay so pressing on so what have we been up to it's been about um, two months since we've had a podcast, and we actually had what I would call our flagship event, which was Help Portrait. And Help Portrait 2011 overall, I think, was an, an awesome success. We hosted it on Saturday, December 10th at Portico, and we had a number of great sponsors that I just want to thank up front. Um, Portico, for one, was an awesome venue. They're extremely accommodating. Um, they kept the communication up. They let their members know what we were up to, and I thought they did a dynamite job of supporting our effort. We also had Tubby's, which is a sub shop off of uh, East High Street. They donated some food for our volunteers and for all of our participants. Cheeseburger in Paradise, Fabio's Pizza, more the same. And we also had two uh, awesome stylists from Moxie Hair Salon come out and support us and, and give us um, hair and makeup for a couple hours of the day. And, and that was a, a huge plus because up until they showed up, we had a couple of volunteers who had a good idea what they were doing, but by no means uh, do they do it full time. So I want to thank um, those uh, volunteers and supporters that helped us out. And then not to mention or not to forget, we also had 13 sponsors who donated. Um, I think our final count G was, what, about $423 that we brought in? 445 this year. 445 So that was great. And we only did that in a matter of like five days or something, right? Yeah, it was about a week before the event when I launched that. So it's it's an amazing amount of of people who donated it. And the nice thing about it is all we do is put out social network information about that and the other volunteers took it upon themselves to pass it out to their network and we even had one volunteer, Gina, who did a photo a print contest. Anyone who donated was eligible to ruin one of her prints and it's, it's efforts like that that really got that, that message out and got us that 445 in a short amount of time. Yeah, and that was great. And G, tell us quickly, what did that 445 um, provide or help portrait. Yeah, I mean everything, all the costs, and and this year we spent costs on printing, on hair and makeup supplies, and flyers, promotional events or promotional information, things along those lines. 
that, that was great, and uh, we appreciate, again, all the outpouring of support. So here's some quick highlights of Hell Portrait. We actually we photographed 272 people, which was dynamite. Our record the previous year was what, Chris? It was 156? Actually, the previous year was 172, so we okay. actually added exactly 100 people more than we had last year. So definitely shattered our previous records. And that's all we're looking for is just, uh, you know, exponential or incremental growth. And I, I think certainly this year was exponential. But keeping along with those stats, we performed 134 individual shooting sessions. We made 181 prints, and we ended up photographing 921 photos. So those are some great statistics. And something I always like to point out um, is if you compare Charlottesville to some other cities, we do statistically extremely well. I, I got to, I dug through some tweets and actually saw Charlotte, which is... Charlottesville, obviously Charlotte. <laughs> There's always some coincidence between that two, but that's a town of, I think, almost close to, I think it's 350,000 people. And um, I think one of their tweets is that they photographed 600 people. Well, if you look at statistically, you know, we shot just about 50% less than that. However, you know, their town is about six times the size of ours. So uh, that was great. And by no means am I trying to say that this is a competition, but just putting it in perspective on, on how well we did this year as an organization for Hell Portrait. I was extremely pleased with it. And um, there's a number of highlights, but I don't want to talk any more about it. I want to turn it back to our panel. Chris, what were some of the uh, the highlights of Hell Portrait for you? No, it was just it was nice to get so many different groups coming in, and really G is the person to thank for that because he did a fantastic job of community outreach to so many different folks. We had um, some folks there that were handicapped and couple of different uh, couple of different times we had some folks from I know I'm gonna not say this right so somebody help me out here the uh, IRC which is the international uh, rescue yeah rescue committee that's right so we had uh, I think it was one of our very first early groups of the day right at about 11:15 was uh, I think 15 people from Nepal and uh, that was really, really terrific to have them come in and kind of kickstart the day with sort of an international flavor to things. But uh, just overall, it, w it was an awesome experience. We had a, a f large number of people who hadn't had their picture taken in a very, very long time or had never had like a formal portrait taken before. And, uh, you know, if of all the places you could stand at Help Portrait, probably if you want like the most bang for your buck in terms of like a great smile, is to stand right near the printer when the prints come out because when they get handed over to the, to the participants, the, you just get some awesome reactions. People jumping up and down and waving their hands, or people crying, and you know that's that's really the the, the payoff is when they they actually get that print in their hands. So. Um, other than that, it was just it was a tremendous day. A lot of hard work, but uh, we made 172 smiles. So always or 272 smiles, <laughs> I should say. So it was terrific. Excellent. And G, what were some of? Uh, actually, before I ask you about the highlights, tell us about. So G actually had a special hand in this, and so did Chris as well. Chris was our our floor captain, so he was in charge of all the greeters. And essentially, when one of our participants came in, it was his group's job to guide them through that. So I want to thank you, Chris. I thought you guys did a dynamite job. All your people performed admirably and professionally and contributed yeah, to this definitely. running like glass. So that was a big hand to you and your group. That was awesome. Oh, thanks. You guys are most welcome. So, And then I also want to give a big pat on the back to G, who uh, sponsored, or I should say, uh, championed our support section, which was in charge of collecting all the money this year. And then more importantly, going out essentially in a promotions capacity and bringing in everybody. So uh, what did we do this year, G, that was different from last year, and why do you think it was such a success? Sure. We, we took a very different approach to getting the word out this year, and then 
we looked at our population and we realized that we probably weren't the best people to speak directly to our population because they are more likely to trust information from trusted sources. So we took it upon ourselves to contact a lot of groups and ask them to contact their folks about Help Portrait. So we went to the guidance counselors in the school systems and gave them flyers and asked them to hand it out to, to their students that they thought would needed something like this. And we went to the people who ran the IRC and asked them to contact their folks. So having them make the pitch for us, I think, really made a big difference. And I'd like to thank all those folks who uh, who spoke on our behalf. And, and it was just phenomenal how many times I would just send out an email asking people, hey, mention this for us. And they would come back and saying, we added this to our listserv, we emailed a bunch of folks. So it was really that community effort that brought everybody in through the doors. Excellent. And, and Chris, I know that you guys tracked our stats. Can, can you uh, equivocally say where um, a, a large number of our participants came from? You know, it's funny. I haven't actually looked at the sheet, but there's a pretty far and wide-ranging disparity there when you look down that right-hand column. Um, and I should tabulate it, but uh, we had folks that saw flyers. We had folks that saw a segment on the news channels. We had people who were part of CASA. Um, there were just <laughs> the folks came from all over the community, so you know, G's initial uh, plan of getting the word out there was really, really effective. So, G, I'm afraid you're going to have to do exactly the same thing again next year because <laughs> it was so it was so good. The uh, the the shotgun that he fired, the pellets went everywhere, so it was successful. And, Thanks. and I will say, I did track that spreadsheet throughout the day, kind of a little a little OCD like, and the, the, it did come from everywhere, and that's why I was really thankful for the community for really getting the word out. You can tell that. Everybody I contacted really did their job to contact all their folks, and I really appreciated it. That's great. And what do you guys think? We're actually going to have our hot wash tomorrow, but what do you think are some future plans? What should we do with Hell Portrait? Is it running on rails, or do you think we can make this thing bigger? And uh, let me turn to G first for that answer. I think we could make things bigger. I think there are a couple of little points that we could smooth out in terms of um, post-production... I'm trying to think of what else. I, I think if we're going to grow it, we need to get some of the internal things going a little bit more smoothly to get people in and out of the doors. Mm. And, but I think, yeah, I think we could do we, we could do a few small internal things to make things go a little bit smoother. What about you, Chris? What, what are your thoughts about the future of Hell Portrait in Charlottesville? You know, um, I love the Portico Church. They've been so generous with us, and it's a it's a nice space that kind of provides an intimate feel. But if we were to add another 50 or 100 more participants than we had this year, we might actually outgrow that space. So that's a consideration. I mean, when we were at the Haven the year before, it's certainly a lot roomier. And uh, I think since this was our third help portrait, <laughs> and every year we always say, oh, we need more post-production, we need more printers, that, that as we go into the end of 2012, I think this year we really have to, we're going to have to increase post-production sure. by a factor of two, because that always seems to be the one that gets us. But uh, yeah, those would be just the, the main comments. Maybe, uh, as they say in Jaws, we need a bigger boat, and uh, you know we need some more mo more folks in post. So yeah. more post and more printers. Yeah, post and let me jump in real quick sure, to say that Post did a great job. Just because we're making these comments, we're not oh, yeah, trying they, to dump on them at all. No, they totally knocked it out of the park. I mean, it's just, you know, it's hard when you've only got uh, three folks and you've got two computers and one printer. I mean, that they did a re remarkable job with yes. a small amount of resources. So that was fantastic. 
Agreed. And we only hit a bottleneck, I would say, with Pose for about 30 minutes, and, and that's typical for every year. But yeah, I agree with all that. I, I think my big three are a space. I'd like to see us on a much like larger space. Some of the other, I, I saw some of the highlight videos from 2009 and 2010 and some of the other help portraits, they actually hosted it in a gym setting or uh, just like a large open space. And what they would do is they'd have a shooting station, they'd have a post-production station tethered right to it and a printer right there. So, you know, almost in real time, a photographer can shoot and they can print and they can uh, send their subject on their way, which would be a, a phenomenal help. Where that is in Charlottesville, I'm not really sure. I hope our listening audience might have the uh, the Rosetta Stone or the answer for us on that. And then, uh, and I think that would solve um, our two internal issues, just that in post-production. And then as far as um, distribution goes, I think we did a great job with that. And just I, maybe getting on the ball earlier, and G, you can jump in here too. Um, or maybe looking to some other media outlets, maybe perhaps, uh, I know the television one was a great spot and that was only one recording that G did. And I think they only played it twice. So, uh, if, if we could get more of the same of that, maybe even a radio spot, um, that could be great. And those are, those are really my only, um, afterthoughts about help portrait. Any reattacks from you guys? Yeah, I'll say one more little pat on the back for Charlottesville and for post and that, a lot of the other uh, help portrait venues I saw don't even print that day. They take uh, information and then deliver the, the prints later. So it's kind of special, especially with our the numbers that we get, to be able to hand people a print uh, the day they're dead. So I think that's that's a pretty cool thing that we do here in Charlottesville. Absolutely. I'd agree with that, yeah. I mean, just when, as I said, the, the point where everybody kind of jumps up in the air and squeals is when they get that print. So <clears throat> I'm glad we do it too. Well, great. And thanks again to both of you guys for championing those sections. I know that was no small feat, um, and I greatly appreciate the support. And I also thank our other two captains, which are Nick Sylvester, who ran post-production, and then Patrick Meyer, who ran our uh, photographers. And I thought everybody did a great job as far as leadership goes and working with their people and answering their needs and conveying them to me. There's really no big fires that we had to fight the day of, and, and that's perfect. Um, so moving along in reverse chronology, we actually just had our – December shoot-off, which was on Saturday, December 17th, and um, as I previously mentioned, our shoot-offs are, uh, well, actually, let me take a step back and kind of clarify what the shoot-offs are and what the rules are, because I think there's still a little bit of ambiguity that I, I hopefully shored up in January, but what they are is actually I model them off of um, what the, uh, there's a military shoot-off that they do every year, and actually, I think it's turning into a biannual event, and it's hosted by a number of ex-military photographers. And uh, what it is is that a, a number of active duty military photographers, reservists, and retired photographers get together each year in D.C. and they have the D.C. shoot-off. And a big premise of it, aside from workshops and presentations, is, is that on Saturday they announce a subject, their photographers have seven to eight hours to shoot it, edit and upload it. Um, and then everyone is judged based on that competition. So I modeled our shoot-offs largely just on that simple format. And that's what we ask our supporters to do. We, we announce a topic at 10 a.m. in December. The subject was view. And we have people upload, edit, I'm sorry, edit and upload their photos the day of before 5 p.m. And what the shoot-off is supposed to do is really just put everybody into a pressure cooker situation to force creativity. And uh, I thought we got some dynamite results. But just to clarify it, once again, <laughs> the uh, it's a shoot-off, not a submit-off. So we want everybody to shoot the day of and upload 
the day of uh, before the 5 p.m. deadline, and we got some great entries this year. And I wanted to actually turn it back to G, who I know frequently participates in this, and just get his read on, on the shoot-off and what it does for him and what he likes about it and maybe what he dislikes about it. Yeah, I love the shoot-off, and I think the pressure cooker force creativity is a, is, is the main reason why I like it. I think it's interesting to get a concept early in the morning and to have to think about what you're going to do, do it, and then submit it all within a certain amount of time, especially because Saturdays we usually have other stuff going on too, so we can't spend all that much time on this. And I think forcing yourself to think quickly is something that most of us don't do with our photography, most of us that don't have you know, short-term paid newspaper-like assignments. So it's nice to have that. It's nice to have that opportunity, and I love seeing other people's uh, what they submit because I, I certainly have my concept, and when I think about it, I go deep into that side, and then seeing other people's take on the same thing is, is eye-opening and and very very cool. So tell us about so you have some really interesting entries, G, and tell us about the uh, the three photos you submitted and what maybe your creative process was, and you know, twenty seconds or less for each one. Sure. I submitted one that was basically a, a bank of windows at one of the buildings that we have here downtown. And I was trying to think about view, not from what I see, but from what other people see. And working in that building, I know that, that it, it they have a great view of downtown Charlottesville, and I wanted to capture the flip side of that. So I shot the windows instead of shooting out the windows. I shot another interesting photo while I was driving home from that, getting my uh, rear view mirror and seeing sort of what what goes on behind the car while we're, while we're driving down the street. So try to different, you know, rear view take on that. So you were, actually, last... you were actually shooting while the car was moving, G? I won't admit to anything <laughs> while we're recording, but uh, we can talk about that offline. Okay, just, just that I'd ask. <laughs> and then the last one is a, a shot of my dog sort of wistfully looking out the front door, as he usually does, or she usually does when I, when I have the door open, and, and turn that into a little black and white high, high contrast shot. Very cool. Chris, have you had a chance to look over our December entries yet? Well, actually, you know, I feel kind of stupid because before when you were asking about Dorothy and shot number 20, you're right, I was looking at the wrong gallery. I was looking at December instead of November. But, uh, yeah, I've been sitting here flipping through the shots while we're chatting, and uh, it looks like some really, really great entries from uh, this past Saturday. So, can you? Are, the are there any notable ones that jump out at you yet? Oh, I'm not going to say anything. That could taint the judge. No, so. it's, it's okay. <laughs> I haven't even announced a judge yet. and uh, I'm actually going to contact the judge probably after we record this, so there's, there's uh, you know, nobody's opinions influencing anything. So you're allowed to speak freely. <laughs> no, I'm not going to say. So once again, I could be held accountable by other people like Chris Devon didn't like my shot or he liked my shot more. So I'm not treading in there. So Yeah, well, I will say I really liked uh, Paul, who's one of our supporters from Richmond. That shot of his camera in the toilet was great. And it like it's one of those I love photos that make you think. And I, I looked at it for a quick second and I kind of knew it was up until I saw the, the white ceramic toilet lid. But I thought that was a great shot. And and uh, great creativity there. So I'll just give him a quick pat on the back. And everybody else said, not awesome job. I liked um, Patrick Myers kind of out of focus shot too of the studio with a, the model. And it looks like she's nude, but you know, there's not a lot of stuff. There's like a little bit of bulk and dust kind of hiding everything. So um, big pat on everybody's back. It was awesome. And I'm looking forward to seeing the January shoot off. And uh, I hope that the, the rules are a little more clearer or kind of, I guess, the lack of rules that we post on the site. But we do that for a reason. I really want to leave everybody with a great degree of latitude, creativity. And um, that's why, you know, all we ask is that we people shoot, edit, and upload the day of. And those are really the only rules. You can interpret anything the way you want to. And if you're having trouble uploading stuff, I had uh, two supporters email me their entries to say, hey, I'm having trouble or they shot me a quick note. And that's totally fine. We're not going to, you know, hold anybody too fast to it. 
And before I wrap up the shoot-off, I want to go ahead and make a, a quick apology, or I should say just an apology about the uh, no-show policy. I, I think I was a, a little bit heavy-handed, and one of our members um, commented on that on the event. But, uh, but we put a lot of work into these events, and one of the last questions that we ask you when you sign up is if you sign up for an event, are you going to show? And everybody unequivocally says yes. And um, I also, this kind of bled in from a, um, an earlier shoot-off in November where we had 22 people sign up and only nine participate. And, you know, from an organizer standpoint and for someone who puts time into this, it's somewhat demoralizing to see you put an event up and then nobody participates. So I just want to encourage everybody, if they are CPS, to participate. And if you don't, that's completely fine. Just let us know ahead of time or mark your RSVP as, as no. So... And what do you guys think? Are you guys ready to, to de-seat me as the director of the CPI or, or <laughs> any thoughts on that? No, I, I think you're totally right in terms of when you put something together, see a lot of people sign up and then not have the participation come in. I think it is demoralizing, like you said. I think it's good to be a little less heavy-handed on it, like you just mentioned. For something like I think I think a shoot-off is different from a workshop or something where, where you're, the amount of time you put in is... is related to the amount of people that show up. Sure. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And then also, too, we, we offer a prize. So the CPI is putting $25, which seems like a small amount, but to a, a nonprofit organization that has pretty razor-thin margins, 25 bucks is, you know, it's a, it's a little shot in our kidneys. Um, yeah. But we're providing that prize for our supporters. So we hope you guys come out in mass. We hope you overall enjoy the shoot-offs and you find them extremely rewarding and growing as photographers and I think it's a great way for our community to come together each month even if you can't be in Charlottesville. So, But that's all I want to talk about the shoot-off. I want to uh, jump into an event we had the same night which was our holiday party and that was uh, Saturday, December 17th. We had it at Positively Fourth, which is a, a relatively new venue that opened up here in Charlottesville and I want to thank our social chair Joel for putting that together. He reserved the lounge space and uh, I thought it was great, but I don't want to talk about it anymore. I'd like uh, Chris to hit on it really quickly. Yeah, it was uh, it was terrific. I think we had probably about 20 folks, and um, it's just nice. You know, it's a nice way to kind of like wrap up the end of the year and have a little bit of holiday cheer. And we had uh, folks who'd never met before who made some new friendships, and then certainly folks that have known each other for quite a while. So, um it was a uh, it was a lot of fun. I took a picture of some people's shoes with Nick's new camera, <laughs> his Polaroid camera. So I was able to waste one of his pieces of film. That's all right. It's only seventy five cents. <laughs> yeah. Anyhow, it was a uh, it was a really good venue. Joel did a really good job of that. And then you know we had a few groups of folks afterwards just kind of break up and go off to different different parts uh, different parts of town for dinner. I especially enjoyed <laughs> talking to G's wife uh, Diana. I think I monopolized her for almost 45 minutes or an hour because <laughs> we, well, we started talking about travel and things just kind of went from there. But uh, it's nice to get together with folks and, you know, not even necessarily talk about photography, but just to kind of hobnob and uh, get to know each other a little bit better. So it was terrific. And thanks, Nick, for uh, paying part of the bar tab on that. That was uh, that was very generous of you. Don't thank me. You can thank the CPI on that. And you can also thank uh, John Carafac, who gave us um, a little bit of money to help carry that tab forward. So that was great. Oh, great. Yeah. And also, too, I usually say something really quickly at the holiday party each year, and I didn't do it because people were floating in and out. But overall, I just want to thank everybody for a great year. I think we've done a lot as a CPI, and we've grown a lot. I'm looking forward to 2012. So thank you to all of our listeners, and thank you to our panel. Okay, and um, something else that's happened recently. We had the uh, studio model shoot, which, as we mentioned um, a little bit earlier in the show, Patrick Meyer hosts. And our latest one was, or I should say our last one, was Saturday, December 3rd. 
And uh, G, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about the studio model shoot and what it is and, and what you get out of it. Sure. This is another one of the events that we do that I really love. And, and for anyone who's interested in doing some studio model or just some studio work, I think this is a great and such a cheap way to sort of get in and practice. I know other groups that do this and charge a lot more than what we're charging to, to get in there, play with some professional level lights. And, and it, for me, it's nice to see what other people do with the same set of equipment. So we, the lights are set up when you first walk in, but it doesn't mean they have to stay that way. So we'll set them up, we'll set up all the settings for the newer folks, but then encourage people to rearrange the lights, change the settings, try different modifiers. And I like seeing how different people achieve different looks with the same equipment and the same model. So I'm a big fan. I think if anyone's interested in model work, studio work, this is a great way to sort of get your feet wet, especially if you don't necessarily have all the equipment or have all the confidence that you need to do something like this. That's great. And, and walk us through, what is uh, how does it normally work? So let's say you guys have a setup, there's a model pose there and a lighting. Um, how does that workflow work? Does, does one person shoot and then another person say, hey, I'm going to change this? Or does the photographer kind of dictate it? Or is it a big um, group effort? Or is it one person humming along? Sure. The, basically, we have a couple different stations set up depending on how many models and how many participants we have. And we'll try to put one model per setup. So one setup might be a high key with three lights and another setup will be a low key headshot station with only one light. Um, and then people kind of take their turns. Everything's done with radio poppers or pocket wizards. So basically one photographer gets the the trigger that goes with that station and then they have five, ten minutes to work with the model and get sort of whatever shots they want. And then when they're done, they can hand that trigger to somebody else and then it's their turn. And one of the things I like about it is that it gives you a chance to talk to other people while they're shooting. But while you're waiting for your turn, you're talking to other photographers and it's a really good way to sort of network meet other people, and then get a sense of what they like to shoot and, and how they do their work. That's great. And we're actually going to talk about the January studio model shoot, and I have some more questions for you, G. So I'll, I'll stop you right there. But just some other big highlights about it. It's uh, it's $25 that we're charging right now. And what that $25 does is it helps to pay for the facility use. And then we're also paying the model now. Previously, we would give the models the photographs. Um, and I don't know this exactly, but I can only speculate on this. But I guess it's my understanding that it's a little tough to get 10 photographers to all email the models the photos so we've uh, we've cut that point off made it a little more efficient and we also want to pay um, our models for their time and their effort just like we expect people to pay us for our time and our effort as photographers so that's what that $25 fee goes to and we'll talk a little bit more about the studio model shoots for our future uh, plans when we get to the January studio model shoot and then just to round things off one of the last events that we had in November was on Tuesday, November 29th. It was the Smug Mug Tips and Tricks. It was a member workshop, and it was actually hosted by myself. And what this was is that, uh, well, let me take a step back. One of our larger sponsors is Smug Mug, and they're gracious enough to give us a, uh, a check every month to help pay for our facility, which is great. And that helps cover our overhead and helps provide um, the space to our members for a low cost. And... Um, another fortunate byproduct of that is actually one of their service tech sponsors, or I'm sorry, representatives, uh, Doc Walker, lives in Roanoke, Virginia. So Smug Mug is a company that employs about 90 people, and we're fortunate enough to have one of their very skilled technicians just down the street from us. So I wanted to integrate him into events more, and I also know that we have a number of people that are interested in SmugMug or the SmugMug users, and the SmugMug interface can be a little daunting at first, so we wanted to kind of 
break the ice for people, get other Spugmug users together, talk about what techniques they're doing. So what I did for this workshop was I opened up my website, I showed everybody how I uh, implement Spugmug into my workflow, um, how I use it for my customer interaction, and then I also had Doc on hand to be able to answer any questions. And I thought it was great. I thought it was a really good workshop. There was a lot of two-way and back and forth. I had um, our supporters asking me some great questions. They were asking Doc some great questions. I let Doc take the floor for a little bit. He was able to teach me two or three things that were awesome, like huge, huge problem solvers for my workflow. Uh, and it was great. And actually, uh, G, you were there too. What was some of your impressions about the Tips and Trips workshop? I thought it, I liked it. I, I, I'm always interested to see how other people approach problems. And I've got a Smug Mug website, and I try to use it a lot for, my, for the back end of my public site. And it was great for me to see how you did your workflow, and I'd certainly patterned some of the stuff I do now off of that. And I like things like that, because even if you get one or two or three good tips or tricks out of it, totally makes it worth your time um, to go down there and to hang out and to, to learn what other people have to do with it. What were some of the, um, what were the two or three, or just even talk to one good tip or trick that you got from that workshop that you're implementing now in your workflow? Sure, just, uh, it, it's really, it sounds really simple, but when you think about, you put up two or three blog posts every week and how much time it'll save, but just simply sending my images to SmugMug first, and then simply creating two windows on my computer, dragging the image from SmugMug into my WordPress, can instantly add an image that way, rather than having to upload it to places and all the stuff I was doing before, and I mean, that trip in and of itself will save me hours in 2012, so that made it totally worth my time. Yeah, that's a great trick, and I actually picked that one up from our Scott Jarby workshop, which was, I believe, in, in June, and, and that's an enormous time saver. I still absolutely hate writing blogs, but that makes <laughs> it a little bit more bearable. One of the um, one of the great tips that I got was about, on SmugMug, they have this thumbs up or thumbs down, and um, I've had that on my galleries forever. And what it does is actually, if you click thumbs up, it sends it to like the big smug mug cloud in the sky, and essentially, like it, it becomes a part of the community. Well, sometimes I uh, have people proof images, and I just say, hey, you know, take a look through here. Let me know which file numbers you like, and then send them back to me. But um, what happens, I guess, maybe like 20% of the time, is that people will hit that thumbs up, thinking it's actually photo ranking, and I can see it. So I've had a couple instances where brides or families in the past are like, hey, yeah, I hit thumbs up on all these pictures and, you know, let me know what you need now. And I have to come back and say, oh, I'm sorry, that actually doesn't work. Can you do the whole thing over again? So I was glad Doc was there to show me. It was just, again, like G said, just a really simple trick. Just it was a radio tick button to turn that off. And then I saved that as some of my default settings for SmogMog. But that was great, and, and that's I'll echo G sentiment. If you can walk away with one or two great things, I, I certainly think it's worth your time. And we're going to try to make those somewhat regular. I know we have a growing community of SmugMug users, so I'm hoping in a couple months we'll probably do another member workshop based around the same principle. Great. Well, that wraps up everything we did over the last couple months, and now we'll go into the future of the CPI and what we have planned for the next couple months. In January, we have another shoot-off. That's going to be on Saturday, January 14th at 10 a.m., and uh, unfortunately for all of our listeners, I can't tell you what the subject is, but just to echo everything that we talked about before, I hope you guys sign up. I think it's a, a great community experience. I think it's a great learning experience, and uh, I think it's a really individual thing that the CPI offers that you probably won't get out of a, a number of other 
photography organizations or competitions. We're going to host those monthly. So even if you don't shoot all month and you know you don't uh, pull out that camera, you can mark that date for you to pull out your camera and for you to exercise your photography muscles. And uh, I, I think it's a, a phenomenal exercise in, in growth and creativity for photographers. And you can also win a $25 gift certificate to Pro Camera Charlottesville. So that's not too bad of a prize. We have our studio model shoot coming up Saturday, January 14th. And uh, I wanted to turn this back to G because I know you and Patrick have been kind of in, in the talks. Were you guys able to solidify anything or should I shut my mouth now? No, I think I think some things are still in the works, but I think we're working on – so our date is January 14th, like you said. That may change, but we're pretty sure we're going to stick with that. One of the new things that we're going to try in January is that I think the studio model shoot's a great way to practice um, some tips and, and tricks and techniques for studio model work, but if it's the first time you're doing it, it may not be the best opportunity to learn. So we're going to offer a very basic studio model shooting 101, where we go over how to set up lights, how the radio triggers work, um, some basic directions on how to work with a model. So we're hoping that the combination of the the quick 101 workshop beforehand and then the chance to practice what you learn right away will be a really powerful way for especially beginners who are new to this to, to sort of really get their feet wet to see if this is an avenue of photography that they want to explore. Excellent. Are there, um, so the uh, studio model shoot, I believe it's at 8 p.m. on the 14th. That's what it's usually been. Do you have any uh, plans for what time you're going to start this and maybe cost to our supporters? Uh, still working all that stuff out. It's going to be about an hour to an hour and a half beforehand. And, and I'll say that the first few months that we do this is going to be a bit of an experiment. Sure. So the first time we'll probably do an hour-long workshop, and, and if people want a little bit more, maybe the next time we'll do an hour and a half-long workshop. We're going to kind of really take the feedback from the people that participate. We're going to try to keep the cost pretty low. I would say it's certainly not going to be more than 25 maybe even a little bit cheaper than that, especially for the first few times out, to see what kind of reception we get. Great. And we thank you and Patrick for uh, putting all the time and effort into this and, and looking forward to seeing it at the calendar. Okay, and we have our Adobe Camera Raw member workshop, and that's being taught by me. And that's going to be on Wednesday, January 19th at 7 p.m. at the CPI. And it's going to be free to our CPI supporters. And what we're going to do here is um, talk about just Adobe Camera Raw, which is a little-known program that exists within Adobe Bridge. And I also wanted to answer... I hear a lot about people want post-production and we've tried a couple post-production workshops in the past and they unfortunately didn't get the attendance that we wanted. So I want to start off really slow, really small and just talk to Adobe Camera Raw. And uh, for anybody who's interested, Adobe Camera Raw only exists within Adobe Photoshop. So you have to have, I believe, Photoshop CS3 or later. And uh, what we do is it's just a big round table. It's a member workshop. I'm not going to come in there with any kind of structure. I'm just going to simply go through my workflow and answer questions as they come up. Um, if we can keep the workshop fairly small, which is great if it does, and if it doesn't, we'll work around it. If we can keep around under 15 participants, I encourage you guys to bring in your laptops and work alongside me. I'll probably host a file somewhere for everybody to, to work on and to manipulate so we're all on the same page. And uh, it should be a really good workshop, and I'm hoping to do another member workshop probably in February, maybe along the same lines. I, I want to do something a little more Photoshop-centric, but I haven't decided yet. So we'll see what happens on the 19th and take it from there. The next workshop we have after that is our DSLR Care and Sensor Cleaning Workshop, and that's going to be Wednesday, February 1st at 7 p.m. It's going to be at the CPI, and it's going to be $25. And what we're doing, again, is answering another heavily requested supporter um, request, which is how to take care of the camera. 
And for a lot of people that know me, they know I'm very neurotic about my cameras and about how I clean them and take care of them. So I wanted to kind of share that process with everybody and uh, talk to them about some of the experience that I've had cleaning my camera and talking with um, camera stores and people that I know that work on the repair side of the house and levy that experience um, with our supporters and let them know what I've garnered over the years. Um, something individual about this, the workshop fee is only $25, but if you actually go to the workshop description, there's two links on there and it says number one, number two, and it says kit with blower and kit without blower. And what I'd like to see is that anybody participating in this workshop purchase the kits ahead of time so we can all do this together, we can all walk through it together, and then more importantly, you can walk away at the end of the workshop with a clean sensor and know how you got to there. Um, so that's going to be great and I just want to drive home once again make sure you purchase that kit or you contact me ahead of time if you're not so we can kind of work things out and um, I want to turn back to the panel Chris you've been kind of quiet over there how often do you clean your DSLR sensor and, and what do you think of this workshop um, generally I change I use my blower probably every other time I change lenses I actually on this uh, Nikon or I'm sorry uh, my Canon uh, 50D I haven't actually cleaned the sensor since I've since I've had it, I'm typically never really racked out at like, you know, F16 or something. Like, I'll shoot at F11 or something like that. So unless I'm doing landscapes that have got a lot of sky where I'm at F11 or F22 or somewhere in between, I'm not that much of a uh, of a uh, uh, crazy person when it comes to sensor cleaning. I used neurotic. <laughs> yeah, though I have to admit, though, I, I always clean my equipment. I always recharge the batteries, clean the the camera card. I mean, I set all my settings back to their base settings, but I have to admit it Help Portrait. I was watching you use your Arctic Butterfly, and I was like, oh, cool. I've never seen one of those before. So, And I'm kind of guessing you'll talk about that at the sensor cleaning. So uh, I'm hoping to make it because uh, I actually want to buy one of those Arctic Butterflies. It looks pretty cool. Yeah, I, I didn't list the Arctic Butterfly on there, but I, I'll put it up there for anybody that wants to pick that up. I actually use the Arctic Butterfly. That's kind of my field kit. So if I'm on the road or if I'm just moving too much, I try to do a dry cleaning every time before a paid shoot. And what that entails is just simply blowing on the end of a, uh, a static brush or using the Arctic Butterfly and then just giving the sensor a quick dry pass to try to pick up any loose particles. And then I just really lightly hit it with a blower. Um, but we're going to actually perform a wet cleaning at the DSLR uh, workshop, which is something that commonly happens if you send your uh, camera back for repair or if you send it to um, a, a local pro shop. They'll get out and they'll go in there and try to remove any uh, hard embedded dust. And, and a great point that I, I want to segue off that you mentioned, Chris, was usually um, sensor dust only starts appearing at the higher apertures like F11, F16. And I know a lot of people have a propensity to shoot at those lower 1.4s and 2 and 2.8. Um, but yeah, if you want to perform actually a quick test before you get in there to see if you have any sensor dust, um, a great way to do this, and you can actually, if you go to the MicroTools website that's linked on the CPI uh, um, event description, it'll, it'll walk you through this on this tutorial. I'm not exactly sure where it's at now, but I'll put it in the show notes, is if you set your camera to about F16 and you open up your computer screen and you open up a white or blank document in Photoshop or um, you know Microsoft Word, and manually focus on the screen and take a shot at F16 or F22 and then take that file and then download it to your computer 
And if you have Photoshop, you can perform in automatic levels or automatic contrast, or if you're using something else, just bump the contrast up a little bit. And if you've never cleaned your sensor, it should look like, like a dust storm on there. And that's always something I see when people for the first time uh, bring me their cameras or if I review anybody's portfolio and I look at outdoor shots, I'll look at that skyline and it always looks like somebody took a salt shaker and just hit that, that skyline. And I saw more of the same of that at Hell Portrait. Uh, I think a lot of people that came in, or a couple of our photographers, um, who maybe do studio work sometimes here and there, but they don't usually shoot at a higher aperture. I saw some of their photos, and they had um, some sensor dust embedded over there. So it's, it's a common problem, and what I want to teach you guys is independence. So how to be able to clean your camera at home or in the field and take care of it so you get the best possible and sharpest images. Yeah. Thanks, Nick. That sounds like a, sounds like a great, uh, great class. Should be. I'm looking forward to it. And then the last workshop I want to talk about for our future for the CPI is um, the business for the artists. Form your business, free your passion. And that's going to be Tuesday, February 21st at 6 p.m. at the CPI. And it's going to be $50, and it's hosted by Edward and Elisa Bricker. And what this is, is if you guys remember, I guess it was in October or maybe September when the Kellys hosted a workshop. We're, we're trying to introduce more business-centric back-end focus workshops and uh, we're fortunate enough to have Edward and Lisa coming to the CPI and what this is is going to be focusing on business and making more time for shooting. So the Kelly workshop was more on marketing and um, a bit on business but this one's going to be strictly focused on um, business of shooting and how to get you out there with a camera and uh, what we're also fortunate about is that Edward and Lisa come from a business background. So Edward uh, is a graduate from the Virginia School of Business here. So he's levying a lot of his experiences and his prior knowledge to them forming a photography business into this workshop. So uh, it should be a great experience. We're probably going to talk about it again in the January podcast. So I want to clip that off right there. And to conclude things today, we're going to have our panel discussion. And our panel discussion today is going to be interpret the expression, the best camera is the one you have on you. And Chris, why don't you let us know or give us your interpretation as what does this expression mean to you and what do you get from it? Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> all right, I'm going to be esoteric here. and Go for uh, it. Philosophic. I'm going to say the best camera that I've got is the camera that's on either side of my nose, which is the 3D camera called my eyes. Okay. Um, and, and I always think with photographers, you know, I, I'm always looking around at stuff when I'm cruising around town or even just stuff that's like sometimes close and you take it for granted. Like I remember one day I was out behind the CPI kind of sweeping out some leaves back behind the alleyway and I was like, man, there's some like really cool fire escapes back here and there's kind of like this long narrow brick wall that's hidden back around the alleyway. So when I did a, a headshot trade-off with uh, JP, who's one of our members, uh, our sponsorship director actually, and <clears throat> I was like, man, I'm going to use that alleyway. So it was one of those things where I just I had Evernote on my Android, and I said alleyway, and I just made a little note about that. And I actually found another kind of cool scene, thinking about the Seville, uh, Seville Weekly's annual photography contest, because I didn't get an entry in for this year. But I've got like kind of a really a cool location, and I'm not going to tell anybody what it is, because I don't <laughs> want anybody to steal my ideas. But I always think like my, the best camera I've got is with, with my eyes. Um, <clears throat> So that's always where I started. Yeah, it's always great to have a camera with you. Um, I've got a uh, I've got a friend, a guy who I met from the Canon photography uh, uh, forums 
a guy named Dan Hauk that does a lot of funny cartoons, and uh, he does photography cartoons. If I don't know if folks out there have ever read What the Duck or some of the other photo cartoons that are out there on the net. Dan does some really funny cartoons, and he's got this great shot of this guy with his hands buried, with his face buried in his hands, because in the background there's a picture of like the Loch Ness monster and like a uh, you know an alien spacecraft shooting a beam at the Loch Ness monster, and he says, "I wish I had my camera with me," <laughs> <laughs> which is the ongoing joke whenever my wife and I travel around. You know, she's always like, "You know, you better bring your camera," and I'm like, "Honey, I don't want to carry the camera right now. Let's just go out and have dinner." And she's like, "I know. If you don't bring that camera, you're going to say, oh, I wish I had my camera.'" <laughs> so. <laughs> At any given point during the adventure. So, yeah, I, I like to travel with a camera as often as I can, but I think I'm going to use my eyes first and foremost. So there's my kind of philosophy on that. Okay, that's, that's great. And we'll actually, maybe we'll expand that a little bit more. Do you tell me, what does this expression mean to you? Well, I I think I have a hard time with this expression. I don't, I don't think I really like it. And oh, that's okay. because it's... I guess I would expand a little bit to say that the best camera is the one that you have with you and that you know how to use. Because I think with, with cell phones all having these great cameras, I've gotten rid of my point-and-shoot now because the camera in my cell phone I think is actually better than my point-and-shoot was. I think most people always have some kind of camera with them, or at least most of the time. And it's becoming more so that it's not about just having a camera but really understanding how that camera works and what you can and can't do with it and, and being able to do what you want to do with it well. So I, I, I think it, it, it's a glib statement. It's kind of short. It's catchy. It, I think I understand the purpose behind it, but I think it's too short and too glib. I think it needs to be taken a little step further. Interesting. And, and I'll give you guys my impression of it, and then we'll go around the table and talk about everybody's impressions. So this is good. Everybody has very distinct ones. And what I always get out of this expression is that it doesn't matter what you shoot. It's just simply the camera that you have on you. And I think a lot of photographers, especially beginners or amateurs when they're first getting into it, they're so concerned about the gear and they're so concerned about spending the money. And what they really just need to know is just having that camera on you is the most important premise. Um, people get caught up, and I've also fallen in this trap too, where I'll see a beautiful picture and I'll be like, I only have my phone on me. I don't want to take this photo. Well, I have to get out of that mindset. I have to get out of it and just say, I have this camera. I have to make it work. And I, that's the way I, that's the way I interpret this and the way that I, I see out of it. And it's kind of my, I guess, rage against the machine or, or my sentiment against the industrial um, complex that forces us to purchase these expensive cameras and lenses and all that such. Um, so that's good. So let's come back to Chris's point. So Chris interprets it as his eyes. G interprets it as knowing how to use your camera. And then I see it more as it doesn't matter what the camera is on you. So Chris, tell us about, um, so what is the, the camera that you likely have on you? You talked about your travel photography a little bit. Would you normally carry a point and shoot with you when you're out traveling? Or would you carry your DSLR? Or are you just using your eyes and framing up photos and coming back to them later on? Well, you know, I've always got my Android on me, which has got a pretty kicking good camera. It's an HTC Evo, which has got like an 8-megapixel camera, and it takes actually remarkably good shots. Um, <clears throat> one of my sort of cell phone heroes is a guy named Martin Gisborne, who is uh, he's the uh, head aperture instructor at Apple Computer. Martin's come to like the last three uh, festivals of the photograph, and uh you know, I, I friended Martin on Facebook about a year ago, and he's got a series of photos because you know, obviously he works for Apple, so everything he shoots is with an iPhone. But he doesn't use a regular 
digital single lens reflex camera. Well, he does, but he has a, about a thousand photographs all in a gallery called Photo Perpetua. They're all shot with the iPhone and obviously very nicely post-produced in Aperture. And his photos are remarkable. I mean, his sense of composition and what he looks for, um, it's, it's, a, it's a high bar for any other photographer to meet. So if, if you get a chance to look at some of Martin's photos in Photo Perpetua, it, it's amazing what can be done with a cell phone these days. And I, I would have to say the same thing is true when I was at uh, Photo Week DC uh, about three weeks ago up in Washington with, with my wife. There were a number of uh, award-winning entries as part of their photography contest that were shot with cell phones that I thought were r remarkably good shots. Have I gotten good with my cell phone? No. Um, you know, there's a bunch of apps you can download that make things look like Instagram and they've got, you know, uh, lots of vignetting or it makes it look like an old Polaroid, that kind of stuff. I think that's almost kind of cheating a little bit. Um, so when I bust out my cell phone, I'm typically using just the basic camera, the camera app that came with the phone itself. And then if I get something that I like, I will take it and push it into Lightroom and tweak it up a little bit and then share it with other folks. So, so I guess the camera that I've almost always got with me is my cell phone. To answer your question, sorry, I'm being long-winded here. No, it's okay. I, I do have a point-and-shoot. And, you know, when my wife and I were in Montreal a couple of weeks ago, <clears throat> sometimes you don't want to sling like the big gun. You don't want the sure. big 16-inch gun because... It's heavy, especially when you're walking around with a 2470. It's like two pounds of glass. And, you know, if I'm typically gripped, so <laughs> that's extra weight. Yeah. So, yeah, I've got a pretty nice little Canon point-and-shoot camera. And sometimes we'd just be knocking around, like, on the streets at night, and there'd be, you know, some kind of night nightlife going around out there. And I'd see a couple of cool little shots. And I got, actually, I think three or four photographs in Montreal and a couple in Quebec just using my little Canon S90 point-and-shoot camera that came out pretty darn nice. So I'll try and carry that with me as often as I can because it's about the size of a deck of cards. It's a little bit bigger than the, than the Android phone that I've got, but um, obviously it doesn't have the battery problems, and it's, you know, it's got a much better... Uh, it's actually got a, a, a viewfinder built into it, which sure. I like to have. You know, I always think that LCD shooting is eh, maybe not quite as good as it could be, but anyhow, that's it for me. That's great. And, and gee, I'll, I'll segue off of one of, the, of your comments. So you mentioned about knowing how to use your camera. What do, you, what do you have to say to someone who uses an iPhone for a camera? And I'm sure a majority of our listeners have an iPhone or some kind of mobile device. How, how can they assert themselves as knowledgeable about using that camera? A little tricky, I know. I it is a little tricky. It's a little <laughs> different direction than I thought. And I kind of want to get back to the point you were talking about. But I'll talk about the iPhone first. It's it's understanding the basic rules and almost what you said. It composition doesn't matter what camera you have. I mean, a sure. well composed shot is a well composed shot. So understanding the basics about light, about how light comes into the camera, all that kind of stuff. It, 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 like you said, it, it's tech agnostic at that point. So if you understand the basics of composition of light, you can take a good shot with a high end camera or with a low end camera. But to go back to what you were talking about and, and the point you made. Ironically, is actually what bothers me about this statement, because <laughs> I think you're right about the the people who are serious amateurs about the pro side. They get all sort of caught up in the tech race, and you don't need to be. But I think on the consumer side, the flip side is happening. I think so many people have cameras now, and so many people are putting up good quality shots on things like Facebook, on Twitter. That I've seen a lot of amateurs and, and just consumers buy just any old camera and think they can get pro-level shots out of it. Interesting. And then been very disappointed when they found out that they're being limited by the tech they have. 
if that makes sense. So, for example, one of the classes that the class that we co-taught was uh, Digital Photography 101. Half the class had point-and-shoots, and half the class had SLRs. And the people with SLRs had the ability to get greater depth of field in their image sure. because they had cameras that had bigger sensors, longer focal lengths. And the point-and-shoot people were very disappointed when they thought they could get the same quality shots with the camera they had. Mm-hmm. So that's why I like to add the little caveat that you have to understand the camera that's with you for it to be the best camera. Yeah, absolutely. I would agree with that as well. And to return to, to my point, I, I see it shouldn't be a limiting factor. It should never be a limiting factor. If you, for, if you can't get that shallow depth of field, then so be it. You know, you understand that this is the limitation of that camera, but uh, still focus on actually capturing that photo and not getting caught up in it or not getting too wrapped around the axle. And then that's another great point you brought up too about once you do find that you're limited or you hit a wall, that's when you expand. So don't come out of the gates too hard and, and invest you know, four grand into buying a 5D Mark II kit and a 50 millimeter 1.2 lens, uh, grow into it and work with what you have. And then once you find those limitations or those walls, understand how you can overcome them uh, rather than coming out of the gate. And I think that's maybe a roundabout way about tying into that that point or that expression as well. Um, anybody else have anything to contribute to our roundtable? I thought that was a pretty good, short, concise discussion. Yeah, and no, I think once again, G raised some really, really good points. You know, it's never about the equipment; it's about what you can do with what you've got and how far you can push it. So, yeah, you know, always, always a good thing. And I, I think too, like for beginners, novices out there, um, use a little bit of the spray and pray. You know, the more you shoot, the better you get. It's like anything in life; the more practice you get, the more stuff that you shoot. And you know, it, it can be hard sometimes when you take the images back. And you actually load them onto the computer and you've got very high expectations for what's going to be there. And then you realize that there are some bad shots, maybe a lot of bad shots out of what you took. There are some good lessons to be learned from the failures as opposed to the successes. Because I'll often look at some of my bad shots and I'll say like, you know, if I had just stepped one foot to the right or if I had just gone down half a stop or... Well, I won't say that because Nick hates half stops. <laughs> <laughs> There's no such thing as a half stop. There's a third right. of a stop. No such thing as a half stop. Anyways, <clears throat> yeah, you know, I think that, that a lot of people don't look at their bad shots um, from whatever camera they were using and learn more from the, the bad shots. So That's great. And we talked a lot about mobile phones. Are you guys using any uh, mobile applications to, you know, work your photos in camera? Oh man, Kipsomatic or what about you, G? I know you're a huge iPhone user. Do you just uh, shoot straight off the camera, or do you send it through something first? I really don't. I really just shoot straight off the camera app. Usually, cool. when I have my camera with me, I've got a. I'm just capturing something to remember it. Um, I'm. I've started using four thirds cameras now, and that's sort of my carry around when I want a nicer photo, but I don't want to carry my SLR right. with me that I really like. But in terms of iPhone, I, I like the just the camera app that came with it. It works for me. Cool, Chris. Are you using anything for your Android phone? You know, I've got a bunch of different apps here, and sometimes they are kind of fun to monkey around with. Um, I'm looking at my phone right now. I've got RetroCam, FX Cam. Um, I use Camera Illusion, Camera 360, Photoid, wow. <laughs> Camera Light, and Camera Fun. And 
you know, those can be fun to shoot with. I mean, they'll give you some kind of cool effects. They're sort of built right into the app itself. Uh, my wife actually loves retro camera, which gives you like a choice of like five sort of old-fashioned style cameras, including one of them that's a pinhole. So those can be like if you're just feeling a little creative and you want to monkey around with them. But I'll still typically just shoot with a basic camera app and hope that I get a really good shot because I've spent a little bit of extra time looking at the light and the composition. Sure. Um, and then I'll post it in, in Lightroom. So Great. Well, thanks again, guys. That was a great discussion. And to wrap up our podcast today, we started off with our content. We talked about our new membership fees, our new tenants at the CPI, programming in 2012, and our November shoot-off results. We talked about what happened over the past month with Help Portrait, our December shoot-off, our holiday party, our studio model shoot, and our Smug Mug Tips and, Trips, Tips and Tricks member workshop. Excuse me. And we also talked about the future, what everybody can expect for the CPI over the next couple months. We have our January shoot-off coming up, our studio model shoot for January coming up, our Adobe Camera Raw membership workshop, our DSLR care and sensor cleaning workshop, and our business for the artists, form your business, free your passion with Alyssa Bricker and Edward Bricker. And I want to thank our panel today with Chris and G. Uh, you guys had some great insights today and contributed to the discussion, so I want to thank you. Yeah, you're thank welcome. Thank you very much. Hey, thanks for having us. Appreciate it. It was a great December. And most of all, I want to thank our listening audience for joining us today. You can learn more about the Charlottesville Photography Initiative by visiting us online at meetup.com forward slash the CPI. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Membership is $40 a year, qualifying you for our events, education, networking, and community outreach opportunities. We look forward to seeing you again in, in we look forward to seeing you again in January. Also, don't forget to rate us on iTunes. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the cast. In the meantime, keep shooting. Yeah, and I just want to add uh, happy holidays and Merry Christmas to all the CPIers out there. Let's hope Santa delivers some like hot new photo equipment under the tree this year. Woohoo! Happy holidays, everyone. Thanks. Happy holidays. <laughs>